This episode is brought to you by Fortis et Fidelis, honoring the brave and faithful service of our fallen. The free will never forget. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Brave and Faithful Podcast. I'm your host, Raiden Dionisio. And today, I have a Marine veteran. Well, once a Marine, always a Marine. Um, he's also a real estate investor at Mr. Dion McNeely. What's going on, Dion? Hey, uh, thanks for having me here. I'm super excited about this. Well, I appreciate you for uh, for taking the time once again. Um, you know, before we get started and talk about what you're doing now with uh, investing in real estate, can you tell us a little bit about your service in the Marine Corps? Uh, what was the time frame and how long you served for? Sure. It was almost a million years ago. <laughs> there was a Marine Corps then still. Um, but I went in the Marine Corps in 1988. Uh, there wasn't a lot going on. I joined for a few reasons. Um, like a lot of kids in that era, I grew up watching all kinds of action movies and I went to the recruiter and actually just said, I want to blow stuff up. So I think I was his favorite person for the whole year because he didn't have to talk me into anything. Wow. And then Desert Storm happened and I got out in 94. Uh, and there really wasn't a lot of resources when you got out back in the dinosaur days. They basically just said, um, here's a template of a resume for your MOS. So you can go be, I was a tow gunner, 0352, you know, anti-tank missiles. They basically said I could be a mall security card or a cop or something in security and I can't do anything else. So I bounced around a lot after the Marines and tried a bunch of different things. I was a windmill mechanic. I worked on cars. I worked security, uh, became a cop for a while. Um, was a truck driver. The recession hit in 2008. And now most people don't know this, but when recessions hit police departments lay off because municipalities get their money from tax revenue. So when there's not a lot of taxes being paid, there's not a lot of money for emergency services. And you don't want to lay off all the firemen. You cut the police department. So how long were you a cop I mean, before, before that happened? Uh, eight years. Okay. And uh, part of that was as a reserve. Part of it was on a, with a department full time. But after Desert Storm, the Marine Corps downsized. You know, they were billets were full, certain MOSs were full. Um, I was really tired of my sources of income being taken away due to things outside of my control. I couldn't control if the military was growing or shrinking. I couldn't control if there was a recession or not. And I've had several jobs where I was basically selling my life one hour at a time. You know, yeah. And I've tried a couple different businesses. Uh, I started a trucking company delivering furniture. Um, fell flat on my face because of... Uh, something I didn't really understand about investing is I was trying to find financial freedom, you know, where money didn't rely on me having an hourly job. So there's running a business, there's investing in stocks, and there's investing in real estate. I don't think I'm smart enough to play the stock market. <laughs> and I tried running a business. And when the business failed, I had nothing left. I literally walked away. It, it cost me money to close the business down. And I had a brother who retired off of rental properties. And I had seen other people try rentals and completely fail. There was a couple mm. of people who tried it and it didn't work. And when they got out, they still had properties to sell to recoup some of the money they had invested. So I thought, I'll try that. 
and my brother's strategy wouldn't work for me. Um, I was a single parent. I had a bunch of bad debt. Um, he would buy rental properties that were like mobile homes in the middle of nowhere that are falling apart. And he would fix them up and rent them out and then just rinse and repeat until he had 10 that were paid off. And then he retired at 50 and he never has to work again. Oh. But I'm working full time, raising kids, don't have the skill set, and I'm way too lazy to actually do all that much rehab to a place. But I was living in a house and I thought, let me test the waters. You know, um, I wasn't even sure if I could handle owning properties as a rental, being a single parent, working full time. So I moved into a, an apartment and rented out my house, kind of a trial run. Mm -hmm. And this actually did something good that some of the other people might try if you're trying to get into rental properties is a lot of us run into problems with our debt to income ratio. When you go to buy a property, how much monthly expenses you have compared to what your, your gross income is before taxes, you can only borrow so much. Right. But when I moved into the apartment and I lived there and my first tenant was a nightmare. I rented to a friend, made all kinds of mistakes. I found the community bigger pockets and learned a bunch of stuff, kind of did self-educating. What was the time um, frame for this? This or? was around 2010, 2011 when I finally okay. um, got a good tenant in the house. So this was and like when bigger pockets was fairly new, right? Like fairly new. They were yeah. they were vlog. They weren't even vlogs. They were blogs. They were. Oh. I was reading articles. Brandon Turner's book didn't come out until 2014, so um, they weren't really on YouTube yet. They were doing a few. No, that even that was afterwards. Um, but I, I found out how to find a lease, how to mm -hmm. screen a tenant. Got a good tenant in the house, and the next year when I had rental income on my tax returns, lenders told me that they would recognize the rent from the next property that I was purchasing because I had a history of collecting rental income. So my debt to income ratio didn't matter so much because at that time I was making about $17 an hour teaching people how to drive trucks. So it wasn't like I had a bunch of money to invest and have a big savings. Um, and through bigger pockets in one of the um, articles that I was reading, that's what we used to do before we had videos. We'd actually read things. Read things. <laughs> right. <laughs> Who is the time to do that now? Uh, I found out about small multifamily and that up to four units, you can use your VA loan. You can use an FHA loan, a conventional loan. As long as you're going to own or occupy, you can put in either zero down, 3.5% down. I ended up doing 5% down because I had about that much saved up and I was trying to help my cash flow. Um, and back then, there was a limit to how much you could use your VA for. That limit's gone away now, so it's, it's less restrictive. But when I moved into the duplex, I did what's called house hacking. Back then, there wasn't a term for it. I, think, I actually think Bigger Pockets Brandon Turner probably coined it. But living in one side of the duplex, the other unit was rented out to where my housing costs dropped down to about $300 a month from $1,500 in the apartment. And when you're making $17 an hour, that means I'm saving twelve hundred extra dollars a month. That's huge. Yeah, can you can you explain that to our listeners, like how has, house hacking really works, and like how how beneficial is that for somebody that's just starting out? <clears throat> sure. Yeah. Um, the most confusing thing with house hacking is people think that there that it has to be a system or that you have to make an investment. Most of us, at some point or another, lived in the barracks. That was house hacking. You had mm -hmm. other people living next to you. A lot of people, I did it um, 
when I was in the Marine Corps in 29 Palms, I lived out in Yucca Valley. I had two other NCOs that roommated with me. I had a kid, so I had BAH. They didn't, but they didn't have to live in the barracks. So they lived with me. I was house hacking all the way back then, which I didn't even really think of because just having roommates is a form of house hacking. If we look at most people in the United States, our largest expenses are the same two things, pretty much no matter who you are, housing and taxes. So housing is either your biggest expense or you make so much money that taxes finally passes up your housing cost. When you reduce or eliminate your housing cost, you have a bigger impact on your savings than anything else you could do. You can cut out coffee, you can cut out drinking out, you can cut out eating out, you can buy a smaller car. None of that's gonna impact you as much as getting rid of your housing costs. So having roommates is one way, the simplest way. If you don't wanna share living spaces with people, the second easiest way is to buy a house that is more than one unit. So a duplex, triplex, or fourplex up to four is residential loans. As soon as you hit five units or more, you go commercial and the rules change and you can't use all the benefits of owner occupying. Because when you owner occupy, you get to do the low money down, you get a better interest rate, you could do a 30 year fixed rate. So um, some people will say, well, there's no duplexes or fourplexes in my area. And most people say that before they've talked to an agent and set up an auto search, because I, I help people reach financial freedom all the time. And that's almost the first thing I do is I say, well, show me your area. And then within a half an hour, I find small multifamily in their area mm. um, because most people just don't know how to search for it. You think you drive around or you think you're, most towns will have a pocket of small multifamily, but most areas actually, none of mine are next to other small multifamily. They're all in the middle of residential housing. But there's also houses with an ADU, an auxiliary dwelling unit. So some people will call this a mother-in-law house. It's basically oh, two right. houses on one property, works just like a duplex. And then it's a little easier to sell to your spouse if, the, if your partner doesn't want to right. share even just a wall with someone else because your garage is touched. That you know, a duplex can be separated by two garages, but they still don't want to do that. Well, two houses is just like living in a house by yourself somewhere. And then other people get more creative. They like David Green from Bigger Pockets. His favorite method is to buy a house with a basement, build out the basement into like a separate apartment. Um, people with split level houses can add some pretty easy dividers in the middle and have two different living areas. Um, but once you do house hacking that way, for me, the first one really changed my savings rate. Took me from somewhere between five hundred and a thousand dollars a month. You know, really cutting every corner to do that to adding $1,200 a month without doing anything different, didn't cut anything out, didn't work anymore, didn't have to work overtime. And what really blew me away that I wasn't expecting was, and I never hear anybody talk about this, but it was the second house hack. Reducing or eliminating your housing costs is really cool and it had a nice effect. But when I moved from the duplex into a fourplex, this was several years later. So whenever you do a house hack, you need to live there for one year because of the owner-occupied requirement of most of the lending. So I had I'd waited and I'd per, you know I'd saved up and purchased a couple of other um, duplexes too that were cash flowing as investment properties, not house hacks. My last house hack, I purchased a fourplex, and when I moved from the duplex to the fourplex, I'm living in one unit, renting out the other three. Those three units after paying my mortgage and after setting aside for repairs and vacancy and maintenance, I'm profiting $1,700 a month and I live there. So this is how big a difference it is, cash flowing, pure cash flow after all expenses. 
So if you think somebody else is paying a $1,500 mortgage and I'm being paid $1,700 to live where I'm at, that means that there is a $3,200 difference between our incomes without even considering what we're doing for work mm. because they're paying to live somewhere and I'm being paid just to live somewhere. And on top of that, the thing I didn't think about was when I moved out of the duplex, I got to rent out that unit. And so now that duplex, instead of costing me $300 a month, is profiting $800 a month, which means I'm just from those two properties making $2,500 a month without having to get out of bed. Wish I'd started house hacking 20 years before when I did. Right, right. Um, so, so you started this, um, what, 2008, 2009, around that time frame? Right around 2009. 2008, I got laid off. Took me okay. a minute to get on my feet, get my head straight, went back to driving. Um, and I thought I found a really good paying driving job. It doubled what I was making as a police officer. So now life's great, right? Everything's perfect. That company went on strike less than a year later and I found myself out of work again. And had a friend working at the truck driving school and thought, well, I could do that for you know a few months until something pops up because it was only $17 a month. And truck drivers make a lot more than that for local jobs. Um, but I had an idea that grew the school from six staff to over 60. So in the last 10 years, I've been demoted to the president of the company and part owner um, based on just having one idea that I wouldn't have even ran by the owners if I needed the job. But since I had started the path to financial freedom by investing in rental properties, I hadn't even reached it yet. I just started the path. I thought I have an idea and I can run it by them because if they don't like it and they fire me, I don't need this job. I'll find my freedom through rentals. Um, and then I, the idea worked out. So uh, one of the benefits to financial freedom is being able to take risks at work. Right, right. So, I mean, that's, that's awesome, man. Um, a lot of our listeners are either active duty or, or they're veterans. And, and I find that like for active duty, I'm still active duty. Um, for the most part, they don't know about like the whole a VA loan and how, what it, what he can buy, um, because I, I mean I just found out also not too long ago, about a year or two ago, like you can use a VA loan up to a fourplex, a quadplex, right? Um, <clears throat> what is your what is your recommendation or advice to those, you know, if they're single, um, they're still active duty, like how what what's like their first step in, into that venture and you know financial freedom. Edu <clears throat> sorry, education. Like you said, most of us are in the military. We're not told how our VA loan works. Most, not most, but many veterans don't know that you can use your GI Bill while you're on active duty. A lot of them think that's my benefit for when I get out. Right. Um, I run a, the CDL school that we, that I run is a career skills program. So in the last six months of a person's active duty, they can take a trade school like HVAC, get an IT cert, take the onward to opportunity program, or go to a truck driving school like ours. And I'm, I run into veterans all the time that had no idea they could use their GI Bill while they're in or their VA loan while they're in. As long as once you have the required number of uh, the required amount of time in active duty, a lot of people use their VA loan a few times as right. they change duty stations to have cash flowing rentals at each place that they leave going to the next one. And VA loan requirements don't require you to be married to get BAH while you're on active duty. You have to you know have dependents or a spouse unless that base doesn't provide housing then they'll give you vh to live off base but 
using a VA loan to buy a property and then renting out a couple of rooms to other people from your unit to where you have no mortgage. It's just like living in the barracks, except there's four ways that rentals pay you. And most people only think of the expense, even like for the last 10, 15 minutes, I've been talking about house, house hacking, saved my expense for housing and added to my cash flow. But every single month, I have a hidden savings account that's growing without me having to actively put any money into it because mm -hmm. the properties are appreciating and the tenants are paying down the mortgage with what's called principal pay down. So part of your mortgage is interest and taxes and insurance, but part of it is principal, which means on a duplex that I pay about $300,000 for in the beginning, about $280 a month was going to pay the principal down. With the fourplex, since it costs more, there's more. So now I have 14 rental units and every month, the tenants are paying down the mortgages by $2,500. So I'm profiting about 7,000, but 2,500 on top of that is being paid down on the mortgages. And I don't have to do anything to have that happen. So in the future, I can cash out refinance, I can take out a home equity line of credit, or I can sell a property and take that money and put it to work somewhere else. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so just going, just trying to tie in this in with the, with the military, right? Is there anything that since with your time in, in the military that's helped you with what you're doing now with real estate investing? Well, <clears throat> I would like to make a blanket statement and say that veterans are amazing, but as a veteran, you're still, well, you're going to be a veteran someday as an active duty service member right two now, years. you know, in two couple years, years couple of years. <laughs> okay. Well, you're going to have to look me up because I actually run a nonprofit that helps people find jobs and it will take a job to get those loans going for real estate. Okay. Um, the thing from the military is that it amplifies you. So somebody who goes in the military, who is good, they come out great. Most people's units had a soup sandwich person too. They don't right, come out right. great. And those are the people that we generally get the public's perception of veterans from because a really good veteran goes to a company, you know, like I started at this truck driving school and I was only a sergeant in the Marines. I only did six years. Um, so I wasn't a staff and CEO. I wasn't an officer. I didn't have higher leadership training, but the basic teamwork that comes from being in the military, the, the, ment the mentality required to sign a document saying, hey, for that little bitty tiny paycheck, I'll risk my life. Right. When you go out into the civilian world, there are things where people just shut down or they try to get into rentals and one little thing goes wrong and they, oh, I can't do rentals. And I'm like, well, you haven't been in the field for three weeks while your wife's having a baby, while everything's broken and won't work and all these things that can go wrong in the military to where the things that go wrong in rent and real estate, where I, I share the story with somebody like uh, HVAC system broke the other day and I get a phone call at work and I, I call a repairman costs $540 to fix. One of my coworkers at work says, Oh, that's why I don't want to own rentals. That's, that's, that's an expense. And you had to take a phone call as a veteran. I'm like, I took a phone call and of the $30,000 that the tenants have been paying me that I have in my repairs account, I took, $540 to pay for that repair. It hasn't had any impact on me whatsoever, but people haven't, who haven't been put in stressful situations that veterans deal with, or the constant moving. I mean, veterans are the perfect specimen for house hacking. Uh, by moving twice in 10 years, so it took about eight years, but it's been 10 years now, I made work completely optional. My kids will inherit millions. Um, I go to work now because I love the job that I have, not because I need it. 
And uh, yeah, it's an option that for that's you a, now. Yeah, and I think that's a strength that veterans bring to the table is adaptability. I don't mind if I have to move twice in 10 years, it isn't gonna be a, a problem. I mean, hardly any time does a veteran stay in one place for 10 years anyway, so they're used to it. Yeah, I mean, like like you said before, like we've, we've been house hacking and probably just didn't know it. You know, like we've been doing this bef before, so might as well just maximize the profits from it, so. Right, you turn it into a strategy that literally changes your life. Right. And I mean, the hardest thing for veterans to understand when we go back into the civilian world is for, I'm guessing at least 18 years, you've been living on a chart. How many years have you been in? What is your rank? I can find an X, mm. Y axis that tells me your value. Right. The civilian world is literally the opposite of that. The manager, the CEO, the person running the place makes half what the HVAC technician makes or what the diesel mechanic makes or an average truck driver for the local trucking companies that we work with starts at $84,000 a year, whereas the managers are making around 50. So coming out of the military, if service members can get into a trade to develop consistent income, to add a few rental properties, literally one every couple of years, or hopefully start that before you get out, um, it doesn't take many. I don't know if you're familiar with one rental at a time. Uh, it's a, a book by Michael Zuber and he's got a, a YouTube channel and he's got a course, but in his thing, it takes four properties to completely change your life. As soon as you hit four, so it's not like you need 50 units or hundred units. At four properties, I had a house, three duplexes, and I was living in one of them. So I had seven units and was making about a hundred dollars a month more than what I was making when I used to be a police officer. So done right, just a few properties can really change your life. And so if you get one or two of those before you get out, you're halfway to a second retirement. Want to support an active duty owned brand? Head over to Fortis-Fidelis.com. Again, that's Fortis-Fidelis.com. And help us in honoring the brave and faithful service of our nation's defenders. All proceeds will help us create and provide memorial coins to the families of our fallen service members. Again, that's Fortis-Fidelis.com. And help Fortis-Fidelis in honoring the brave and faithful. So Dion, a lot of uh, pushback or some of the things that whenever I talk about real estate with my fellow uh, sailors is like, they don't want to deal with uh, managing the property, right? Okay, has, what's been like the, I don't want to say worst moment, but like what have been some of the difficult experiences you've had as far as like managing your properties or just owning uh, real estate? Sure, um, ironically, today while we're recording this, my video on my YouTube channel, which is Dion Talk Financial Freedom, um, is actually how to self-manage rental properties while working full-time, mm. because that's what I do. I still self-manage all 14. The biggest problems with self-managing your rentals is not running it like a business. I moved into an apartment and thought I'll rent out the house because I'm testing out the waters, which meant I wasn't fully mentally committed to even doing this yet because I was making sure I could. So I didn't have a strong lease. I didn't want to make a profit. I rented to a friend because I didn't think I could trust a stranger. So I moved a friend in who was also a single parent and uh, a former Marine. So not all veterans are amazing, but <laughs> like you said, we he, got that soup sandwich. 
Yeah. Once in a while. Once in a while. Um, he's a great guy, but he was a single parent in a bind. And I let, when the rent was late, I let it slide because it was my friend and I didn't have a lease. Like right. these are all the mistakes you can make, right? So once I said it was late, it was okay. Late became later, which became never because I set the stage for that mistake. It wasn't the tenant's fault. I was training him that it was okay not to pay your rent. When I finally went to the house to have a face-to-face -face conversation, he had moved out, rented the house to someone else, and he was collecting rent and not paying me. Wow. So if you don't run it like a business, you'll fall flat on your face. And at that point in time, to be completely transparent with everybody, I gave up. I thought my brother's just a genius and way smarter than me, and I don't have the skill set for this. And I tried to give the house away. Mm. But luckily, it was around 2010. The house was worth less than what I owed, and I couldn't even give it away. Um, and that was when I found bigger pockets and educated myself and found out the things I was doing wrong was I didn't have a lease. I didn't run it like a business. I wasn't setting expectations with a tenant. And then I developed systems like even self-managing in all of 2020, 14 units took me less than 27 hours. And I log everything like how many minutes it took to deposit a check when I get it and deposit it with the app to any text or phone call or email that I have to handle. You can hire a property manager and even be more hands off, but a property manager would have cost me about $19,000 last year. And so $19,000 divided by 27 hours, I was being paid about $703 an hour to manage my properties, which made it very worth it. Um, so that's not how much I profited. That's how much I profited just by self-managing. I made about 84,000, 83,000 in profit um, in 2020 which is really cool because that means my savings rate is over a hundred percent. I save every single penny from my job and then about half of what I make from my rentals. Cause I don't have any housing costs cause I'm still living in one of my own yeah. units. Yeah. The, the, the warning with house hacking is that it's addicting. Um, being paid to live where I'm at right now is going to make it very hard for me to ever pay to live somewhere again. I'm sure I will someday, but, um, it's, it, you're just spoiled when you realize, yeah, yeah. you know, your house isn't costing you anything. Um, but systems to self-manage your properties, getting them in place is what matters. And sometimes you can do that before you own a property. Go to a local real estate meetup and find some people who run small repair businesses, you know, handy man, handy woman, handy person, company, whatever it is, and have two of them so that if you have a job that pops up, you can check to see which one's available. There's an app called Thumbtack, like your Thumbtack, mm. um, where contractors uh, list their services and you can go in, post what you need done. You can get quotes, meet contractors, read reviews. So I've had roofs replaced. I've had hot water heaters replaced. And the total amount of time invested on me was less than 10 minutes because of these two or three emails that I would have to send to get that done. Yeah, let's let's talk uh, about that uh, systems, uh, the systems that you've kind of set in place. That way, you're not as, um, you know, it's not much of a problem when you're managing or self-managing your properties. So you talked about Thumbtack. Um, so I've heard like Cozy, Rent Ready. Like, what are some of your recommendations of like what software to use if you're self-managing? Uh, Kiss Principle. Kiss, Kiss Principle. Keep it simple. Oh, yeah. Principle. yeah. Keep it simple. Right. Um, actually, I think I took that from Uber. I mean, the Navy. But, uh, yeah, yeah. That's for Navy <laughs> or Marine Corps. Yes, exactly. Um, keep it simple. 
to run my 14 rental properties while working full-time, this is how simple it can be. People overthink this all the time. One checking account, one savings account, one credit card that I pay off daily, just used for cash back. I keep one Excel spreadsheet with a tab for expenses and a tab for rental income. I send that spreadsheet to the CPA and I okay. sleep like a baby. I use Cozy, which just merged with apartments.com. And so I haven't listed one since the merge, but they do, it's free for the landlord or the property owner. And it's $39 per applicant. They do a background check, credit check, eviction check. So I've relied on that. Advertising properties is very easy with, you know, Facebook marketplace. Yeah, you can go um, groups cozy. things like that. But there's even more ways that veterans can use that they'll be a little more familiar with than the civilians that I've tried to help reach financial freedom. One of the things I've done to make my, or to help my portfolio be basically apocalypse proof is I diversify my properties. So one reason I choose small multifamily or single family houses instead of apartment buildings is because if you have 10 units in one spot, all of your tenants are probably coming from one thing. And if Boeing moves or the port closes or the base has a BRAC meeting and they shut down, you're out of luck. So I keep my properties at least 10 miles apart so that they're pulling from the base, the port, a college, a hospital, Boeing or Amazon. So if one of those goes away, a part of my portfolio can be impacted, but not the whole thing. And then diversify your tenants. So you can't legally say, only Section 8 tenants for this property, or only military for this property. As much as people want to help veterans, you can't even put that in your ad. But you control how you advertise. If I want a civilian who's working or retired, I'll advertise on Cozy, which is now apartments. If I want a Section 8 tenant, I'll call the housing authority and I'll say, hey, I have a unit coming available. And you know, they go through an inspection if it isn't already an approved one. And then I'll let them know. So they'll have people basically waiting for a place to open. I'll list it on Cozy and I'll send them the link. And so far, 100% of the time, they're the first person to apply. Or if you live near a military installation, there are agencies on each base that handle housing. So when new families move to the base, you get your orientation with, here's the 300 things you need to know about this location. Right, right. I've contacted MWR just to find out on that base who handles the rentals because it's different on each base. It's not, you know, MWR doesn't usually run it, but they know the agency that does. So I've helped people down in San, San Diego. I've helped people in Broken Arrow uh, contact the base close to them to figure out how to list their rentals on the base. So you're not saying military only, but if you're only advertising on the base, pretty sure you know what kind of tenants you're going to get. Right, right. So that's, that's some great points right there. So you talked about diversifying your tenants, um, some of the ways that you can you can advertise um, to to many different uh, tenants. And can you you mentioned Section Eight? Can you like talk more about Section Eight and what that all entails? Um, yeah, quick. sure. It's I would actually thanks for asking the question because that's one of my favorite subjects to clear up because there's a misconception that almost everybody has. I had it for decades. Um, Section eight is not low income housing. Low income housing is for people who don't make a lot of money and they have to prove they don't make a lot of money. Section eight is for fixed income. You're a retired veteran with a set income. You're a person on disability or a family with special needs kids that have a set income. My section eight tenants, um, all, well, first all of my tenants have above a 700 credit score, but I have a section eight tenant that has an 830 credit score. Hmm. 
Section 8 doesn't pay low amounts of rent. Um, there is a Bigger Pockets episode with a gentleman named Joe Asamoa. I forget the number, but you, you know, if you just look Joe Asamoa, Bigger Pockets, he rents to Section 8 in the Washington, D.C. area where, where the housing authority pays over $5,000 a month per unit because mm -hmm. they base the rent on the area average. My, I have a house that is on a lake that has bait, uh, private beach access, basketball court, tennis court, and Section 8 is paying me $18.90 a month there. Um, the tenant has an 830 credit score. Um, Section 8 tenants are great because they have a benefit that they can lose. If they get evicted, they lose the benefit. If they right. get too many complaints with the housing authority, they can lose their benefit. So the tenants never have noise complaints, never have to be told, please keep the yard clean. They're never laid on their portion of the rent. And Section 8 makes them pay a portion so that they have some skin in the game. And then some people will be a little concerned with Section 8 and say, well, doesn't the government come and inspect my property? Which, wait till you meet city inspector, no matter where your rental is. The government can inspect your rentals anywhere. But a Section 8 inspector coming to inspect the property is just making sure that it's safe and functional. The doors and windows open and close. For a bedroom to be considered a bedroom, it has to have a closet, has source of heat, two ways in and out. And then one of those ways can be a window. And as a property owner, you want all of those things anyways, because no matter how good your insurance is, if you are neglectful and you have a bedroom that only has one way in and out and somebody gets hurt because they can't get out, you're actually liable. So you would, you'd want those inspections to happen anyways. I have had zero problems with the section eight program. I do keep about one third of my units section eight, one third military, one third not. So that if a pandemic hits, um, at most yeah. one third of my units might not have been getting paid. Um, if the government shuts down and the military skips a few months of payments, which has happened a while ago, I think the longest shutdown we ever had was like 60 something days or something. Um, but even then section eight continued to pay during the government shutdown. So I call my strategy apocalypse proof. <laughs> Things can happen. Property values can drop, right. which would be great. Because in 2008, when property values dropped, because a lot of people lost their homes, the words, a lot of people lost their homes, meant there were more renters. Rents actually went up after 2008. So there's a thing going on right now called a K-shaped recovery. When the pandemic hit, um, we were all pretty much equal in a line. We were all either working, but some people had assets and some people were relying on their income to come from selling their life one hour at a time. And if you can't work, you were on the bottom half of the K. But if your money comes from assets like rental properties or stocks or Bitcoin or crypto, you could be on the top half of the K. As, as we've recovered, people have realized last year, the stock market doubled in right. value. We're hitting, we're breaking records while there's a pandemic going on. I have, with my diversified portfolio of properties and diversified tenant bases in all of 2020 with the pandemic going on, I haven't had one late or missing rent payment. Yeah. So that's the, the kindergarten classroom version of what a K-shaped recovery is. That's awesome. And thank you for explaining uh, the K, the K, you said K-shape, and then also yep. about section eight. And uh, I mean, that's a great, that's a great tip as, as well as, um, you know, you talked about diversifying your, your tenants. Um, so for those of you guys who are joining in, talking to Dion McNeely, uh, Marine, and also real estate investor. Uh, Dion, what's, other than the financial freedom, you know, not having to worry about 
um, you know, your, your paycheck and things like that. What's been the most rewarding experience you've had since you've started investing in real estate? Um, <laughs> oh, it's too shallow to say. Um, I've had two <laughs> divorces and one of those was because I was in the Marines and Marines don't make a lot. So not making enough money. Um, second divorce, not making enough money was one of the issues too. You know, in law enforcement, you're just not paid a lot. Mm. Uh, so one of the most rewarding things is, um, and my dad said this when I was a kid, he said, the best revenge on somebody who treats you wrong is to live a happy life. Mm. And with rental assets and rental properties that were that are appreciating and the tenants are paying down the mortgages and I'm living on the, the cash flow is twice what I need to live on. I've had an amazing life. And on top of that, this is the really cool thing. As a Marine and as a cop and as a truck driver, what were my kids going to inherit? Mm. Some good stories, a bunch of firearms, but now they're going to inherit millions of dollars. And due to the stepped up tax system, the depreciation currently based on the way the laws are would reset to where that's a straight across the board inheritance for them that I would never have had if I didn't get into rental properties. And that's, that's awesome point right there. And best, best of luck to your, your kids and whatever they do. <laughs> and, and there's, there's yeah. one more thing that's been really cool about financial freedom is it gave me the financial ability to found a nonprofit. So anybody looking for work, military, spouse, dependent, or if you know a civilian looking for work, hiddenjobs.org. In transportation, everybody thinks of the truck driver and there's a driver shortage. So those companies are advertising for truck drivers, but nobody thinks about every single trucking company having operations, logistics, HR, IT, forklift, mechanic, web design, legal team, UPS and FedEx staff medical personnel at their facilities. So we've helped nurses get jobs for free. It's a 501c3 non nonprofit. So we're not allowed to charge a penny. We don't charge the customer. We don't charge the employer when we get him a job. You can contact us and we will walk you through how to do a resume, how to do an interview. We teach this on base. We teach this in prisons. We teach this at colleges, anywhere where there's somebody coming into new work. And I mean, not having to worry about the financial aspect is amazing. And the side benefit is it helped our truck driving school develop relationships with local trucking companies. So when somebody goes through our program, like one of the career skills program, people off a of joint base Lewis McCord here in Washington state, if they go through our CDL program, they don't have to drive all over the country driving for like Swift or Sierra England. They actually get a local job that starts mm -hmm. out over $80,000 a year. So if somebody reaches out to us and we help them find a job, they're actually doing us a favor because that's how we get our graduates local driving jobs. What was that website again? Uh, hiddenjobs.org? Hiddenjobs.org. Org, okay. So guys, the companies we work with are nationwide. Semex is in 127 countries. So we can help with job placement anywhere in the world. Okay. So guys, gals, make sure you guys go check check that out, hiddenjobs.org and uh, get in touch with Dion. Um, hook you up with a job. Um, uh, Dion, one more question before we go into our second segment here. What's one thing you want our viewers or listeners to take away from this episode? The main thing to think about, no matter whether you're 22 or 50, you're going to be alive in five years. Start living like it. Don't buy the big car, buy the asset that then pays for the big car, truck, mm -hmm. whatever you want. Start investing because 
in five years, you want to look back to now and thank yourself for the choices you make because investing is very simple, but really hard to do. It's not complicated to go buy a rental property. There's YouTube University. You're, you're making videos, probably helping people how to do that. I've got a video on the six steps to getting started in real estate investing. And it's easy. It's not easy. It's simple, but hard to do. And in five years, it'll matter. Yeah. And I think also what holds people is just that first point is just getting started, right? Like getting started and, you know, diving into whatever that may be. Um, so, so here's, here's two examples. Um, do you, what, what phone do you use? Do you have a Droid or an iPhone? iPhone. Okay, I have an iPhone too. We have, I have the iPhone 12. You probably have iPhone. I think 10. 10, okay. <laughs> yeah. Apple didn't come out with the iPhone. They came out with the iPhone that was one, two, three, four, five, nine, X, 10, whatever we're on now, right? Yeah. Pro, Max. You don't come out with the perfect product. You take steps towards real estate investing that get better as you learn it. And in the Marine Corps, you'd never make a plan 100%. You make a plan to 80%, then you take action because your plan has to be able to adjust to the situation. Right. Investing is the same way. Make a plan to 80%. And so, and just, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version of the six steps to getting started in investing. This, the first ones are the same for almost all of us. Learn to save, spend less than what you're making. And it doesn't matter if it's $5 a month or $500 a month. If you can't save now, you're not going to save more when you're making more money. It's, that's, that's not a thing. Mm -hmm. Once you learn to save, figure out your credit score. Watch some YouTube channels uh, on, on fixing your credit and some strategies to get that credit score because the goal should be 740 or higher because that gets you the best rates and but more likelihood to be able to qualify for a loan. Once you're able to save because you're going to have down payments, closing costs, immediate repairs, vacancies. Every penny that you save gives you more options. Now, if you're saving and you have a good credit score, you might as well talk to a lender to see what you can borrow. Once you talk to a lender, you might as well talk to an agent to, to set up an auto search to see what's out there. So that's four steps without doing anything. You're saving, you're figuring out how to work on your credit score. I haven't bought an investment yet. You're talking to a lender, which is a phone call and a couple of emails. And then you're talking to a couple of real estate agents to set up auto searches, which is some more emails. So I'm several months into being an investor without pulling the trigger, without making a commitment, without having to do anything that's big and scary. And by the time you have those four steps done, it makes sense to eventually start making offers on properties that you think would be a good deal. If you don't do those first, first four, you'll never get there. Yeah. Just got to take that step, no matter how big or small it is, right? And then right. Just, just go forward. Exactly. All right. All right, Dion. So going into our second segment of the podcast here. So this is what I call the fast five. So it's the same five questions I ask all my guests. Um, first question, what's one hobby you enjoy? I still go to the range. That's something mm. that some of us never let go of. Yeah. Um, I like to, I, my company has an ammunition budget and I like to take coworkers to the range for bonding um, and good competition. All right. Um, second question. If you had to choose one person to hang out with for one day, who would it be and why? <laughs> uh, real, fictitious, historical. Any, anybody, dead, living. Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk. You should just, the idea to pull a win out of the impossible situations is, is, is something that I've used now. And I want to 
that would be who I would pick out of out of every character out there. Bonus questions to that. Uh, what do you think about the latest movies, Star Trek? <laughs> um, the latest movie is not bad. I am a fan of a couple of the actors. Okay. Not so much the latest series. Okay. Recommend a uh, next question. Recommend a book for our audience to read. Uh, this is the same book that I recommend to almost everybody. You should probably put an Amazon affiliate link in your, your channel on YouTube. <laughs> um, it's One Rental at a Time by Michael Zuber. Okay. It, uh, the strategy laid out is simple, reproducible. The average person can do it. There's no special secret sauce. You're literally right off the MLS, traditional lending, and four properties later, your whole life has changed. One Rental at a Time by Michael Zuber. All yep. Right. All right, next question, Dion. What's your favorite quote and why? Be nice to everyone you meet, but have a plan to kill them. Mm. <laughs> From my gunny in uh, 1990. Wow. Because uh, it's good. It's you know, Patrick Swayze mentality. Be nice. Always be nice until it's time to not be nice. That's kind of like, um, it brings me to um, General Mattis's it's one of his quotes as well. It's something similar to that. It, it probably, probably where I got it from, but I just remember that guy saying it a million years ago. Okay. And he was from Guam and had a strong accent, but I got that much from what he was saying. That's a great quote though. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, all right. So last question, where do you see yourself in a year, five years, or even 10 years from now? Um. <laughs> Marines don't generally show their emotions very much, but I can't put into words the mind-blowing amount of peace that comes from knowing work is completely optional. So my goal one year, five years, 10 years from now is to exponentially being able to bring the knowledge of how the average person can reach financial freedom, even if they're not starting from the best position. So I'm making the YouTube channel, I uh, take phone calls, I'll handle emails, I'll help look at deals. I mean, I'm getting busier and busier. And, and as I go, that might, be get hard, that might get harder to do. Mm. But that's my goal. Um, the truck driving school is doing great. I'm still growing it. We're looking at opening in new, in new states now. Um, my rental portfolio, I'm still adding. I'm looking for a property right now. Um, but each time that I help a person get their first deal or get their next deal or solve a simple problem, uh, that's very rewarding. It's awesome, man. Um, Dion, I appreciate you for, for, again, for taking the time and just sharing your knowledge and investing in real estate. Um, you know, wish you all the best with uh, your future ventures, man. Uh, one final thing, where can our audience, where can they stay in touch with you? Where can they support you? So uh, my YouTube channel, I answer pretty much every comment. Uh, Dion Talk Financial Freedom and Facebook, Dion McNeely. Uh, if you add a friend, please send a message because I get 20 to 50 fake account invites every day. So I generally don't add anybody unless I get a message that just says real estate or Semper Fi or something like that. <laughs> All right. So there you have it. Make sure you uh, reach out to him uh, on YouTube, on Facebook, and make sure you send him a message before you uh, friend request him. Um, again, Dion, I appreciate you for taking the time and uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. Okay. Thanks a lot for having me. All right, take care.
I just realized the whole time. Hey everyone, Raiden here. I just want to thank you for listening to our podcast. And make sure you guys go check out our website, fortis-fidelis.com. Again, that's fortis-fidelis.com. And learn how you can help us support in providing these memorial coins to the families of the fallen. And make sure you guys go follow our social media on Facebook, FRTS, FDLS. Again, that's FRTS, FDLS. And on Instagram and Twitter at FRTS underscore FDLS. Again, that's FRTS underscore FDLS. And make sure you guys go subscribe, review, and leave a comment on our podcast on all the podcast platforms. Till then, take care.